Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, just want to thank Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring us. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. I am delighted to have back on Explore the Space, Dr. Judy Melanick and TJ Mitchell. They are here to discuss the release of their new book, Aftershock. They were on the show just a little bit over a year ago to discuss the first book in the world of their protagonist, Dr. Jesse Tesca. That book was called First Cut. It was great. Aftershock is a total blast. It's a really dark book as we talk about, and it was just really fun to revisit that world with them and revisit their collaborative process as well. It was also fun to talk with them about the experience that they've had moving to New Zealand. They moved to New Zealand early in 2020 and have set up their shop there and made their lives there and hearing what it's been like to experience the COVID-19 pandemic in New Zealand and what the road forward looks like for them really was illuminating and really, really interesting. I think you will really enjoy hearing from them about that as well. Before we get to our conversation, I want to just invite everyone, please do subscribe to Explore the Space wherever you like to download your shows. We're on all of the usual platforms and definitely leave us a rating and review as well. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on social media. I'm very active on Twitter at ETS show. Definitely please check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. Judy and TJ are just a blast to speak with, and it was wonderful to connect with them, even though they are about as far away physically as you can get. We really just picked up right where we left off a year ago. So without further ado, Dr. Judy Melanick and TJ Mitchell. Judy and TJ, welcome back to Explore the Space. It's great to have you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. When we left things a year ago, and you were on the show literally almost a year ago to the day, we did have a plan. The plan was I was supposed to come to your house, and we were going to have a spaghetti dinner. And (laughs) if you think I'd forgotten that, you're wrong. I was ready. But circumstances have changed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're probably making spaghetti tonight. Um, so we actually say- are because here we're we are in New Zealand and here it's high summer. So I was able to go to the farmer's market and get a whole bunch of really good, cheap, soft tomatoes. So, uh, yeah, I made my own Sunday gravy the other day and we are actually going to be having spaghetti tonight. Yeah, of course you are. Fantastic. Well, as you said, I'm not going to be able to come to your house because now you guys are in New Zealand and I'm still at home. Yeah. When yeah. we spoke a year ago, Judy, did you have... Was it on your radar yet? Was was moving to New Zealand? Had you gotten pinged yet to start thinking about that? Uh, not yet. Not in February. Um, so what happened was is COVID was on my radar because I was paying attention to what was going on in Wuhan and subsequently in Italy. So I was very much aware of the potential risk of a pandemic having 
the effects that it would have on the United States and that it subsequently has had. And uh, New Zealand hadn't shut down yet, if I recall correctly. I think they shut down at the end of February, beginning of March, something yeah, like that. So. so they hadn't shut down yet. But I was starting to collect articles and read about COVID and whatever I could to prepare for what I expected would be an onslaught. Although we should say that New Zealand has always been on our bucket list as tourists and then also even uh, as a doctor because New Zealand never has enough forensic pathologists. So they end up uh, taking doctors from the United States, Canada, the UK, all over the world to come and work short stints, usually three months or six months up to a year. And we always kind of wanted to do that once we were empty nesters. Yeah, once the kids were out. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead, we were we were offered the uh, the the the, um, the opportunity to come here now, and we jumped on it. Yeah. Yeah. They so that offer a, didn't come until uh, May. May. Yeah. yeah. May. Okay. Yeah, they have not asked we were, me we yet, so they clearly don't need hospitalists yet. But that's okay. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a need for multiple different uh, expertise. Uh, a, they're mostly subspecialists is you what they're lacking. You could look into it. Um, if yeah. you're a GP, <laughs> then um, New Zealand definitely needs GPs, especially if you want to work in a rural setting. Yeah. And uh, the pay is good. The lifestyle is fantastic. Look yeah. into it. You guys are making this hard, man. Sunday gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Country living. <laughs> a reasonable response to COVID. My gosh. Have you settled in? Do you feel like you're home? I have. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, TJ. I, I have, have less than Judy yeah, has. Yeah, Judy. I went Kiwi. I'm yeah. like start, st- starting to study Tereo ter- Maori. I'm uh, really just, you know, eating, eating Vegemite and Marmite and yeah. really it, it enjoying be, It could be because Judy, <laughs> because Judy is a two-time immigrant. Like yeah. she's an immigrant to the United States. That's true. Uh, she moved to the United States when she was five and uh, I am a native of the United States, and being here, there is still some culture shock that I'm that I'm working through, but uh, all of it in good ways, mostly. Yeah, we're really enjoying it. I mean, I, it, it, we are referring to the apartment that we are renting here as home now. Yeah, that's for sure. Wow. Yeah. And now I'm curious to know this. Are you getting pings at an increased frequency, uh, less frequent, or unchanged frequency from your former colleagues in the United States about, Hey, what's the story? What's the job market like? What do you think? There is increasing interest, especially in among healthcare workers. So it's not just uh, pathologist colleagues, but, um, you know, because I was pretty public about our move. And uh, when we arrived here and managed isolation, TJ and I were tweeting about it. So we got yeah. a little bit of media coverage as well. Um, so there is interest among healthcare workers in the United States who are burned out and interested in coming to New Zealand. Um, the limitations obviously are job availability and being able to uh, get everything in, in order, including including visas and permission and space and managed isolation to get them here. And it, it also seems that now that the United States can at least see the light at the end of the vaccine tunnel, we have, I think, fewer people who uh, are desperate to get out. That's interesting. I wonder if it's going to continue to evolve, because like you said, you were very transparent about it. I gobbled it up. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And I appreciate you both being so open about the whole journey and the experience and when you were in quarantine and and all of it. It was just I didn't expect it. And, you know, all of a sudden you were gone. (laughs) I was like, well, no Sunday dinner for me. But (laughs) it, it was also, though, I was curious because I did feel like perhaps you guys had kind of like unzipped the door in a way 
And I wondered if are we going to see, you know, many, many dozens of physicians following suit, physicians, healthcare workers, other industries saying, you know what, if they can do it, so can I. Have you observed that or have you felt that New Zealand is is trying to kind of do that drawing out work? It's a hard question because New Zealand definitely can use expertise here, not just in the forensic realm, but um, in healthcare. Apparently, there are not enough sheep shearers here, so that's a crisis. <laughs> um, so we need to bring well, that's in a seasonal people. For, it's a seasonal. It used to be that, that, yeah. that they would fly in people who it's it's a seasonal and highly skilled and actually a really, very highly paid job. They'd fly in people from the UK and Ireland. And right. They would do it, and this year they haven't been able to do that. But I think that they did finally manage to get those essential get workers in. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, if you the there there is still I think a lot of interest in moving here, but it depends on immigration and whether they open the borders. Right now, they most recently announced that the borders will remain closed until next year, until yeah. twenty twenty one. And also, right now, the the uh, the New Zealand system of managed isolation is fantastic and works really, really well. But it it's dependent on how many hotel rooms they can set aside for that. And right wow. now, we just learned in the news yesterday that the hotel rooms are booked through July. So if you're a Kiwi and you have the right to come home, which you do, you've got to wait a while now because they just have to, they, they, they don't have enough capacity to, to work people through that system. And, and that same, that same uh, problem might apply if you were a doctor trying to come here now. Yeah, and then I don't think I don't think that the government or the public health sector is willing to take the risk to allow people to isolate at home. They want yeah. to keep it in the managed facilities because they can do the testing, they can do the genomics, they can learn about how the virus is transmitted within the facility when there are the occasional outbreaks um, and tamp it down because of contact tracing, so which the, you can't the public really health do. Response has been really, really nimble and really impressive. But they're not taking any chances either. So then the next question is, as you mentioned, right, kind of moving towards the end of at least a vaccine tunnel in the United States, or at least being able to see potentially the end of it. Do you think you guys will ever come back home? Or do you think, maybe I should rephrase, do you think you'd ever come back to the United States since you're now referring to your house there as home? <laughs> um, I think we will be coming back to the United States, number one, because we have two adult children in the United States. We own a home in San Francisco. My mom is still there. Uh, yeah. TJ's family is in the Boston area. So it, it is important for us to be with our family. And um, we love the United States. We're Americans. But, you know, it a lot depends on where things go over the next few years here and where things go in the United States with regards to the vaccine rollout and the response to COVID. I'm a little concerned, to be honest, about the fact that the vaccine rollout has been so halting and slow, and I'm concerned about uh, potential new variants of COVID-19, you know, COVID-20, COVID-21, um, that may be uh, less uh, effective, you know, less affected by the vaccine or potentially not picked up by the current testing regimen that could potentially come out and evolve and uh, and cause subsequent up outbreaks. So it's really important to learn from the New Zealand response that it's worthwhile to move quickly and uh, competently and effectively. You, you have to smash this thing down. You've got to aim for zero COVID. I don't think mitigation works. I think almost certainly, yes, we will. We will go back to the United States. But then again, I, I don't I don't make plans anymore because yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> right. want to. Right. The, the joke that I made when we yeah, the joke that I made when we when we moved here was uh, that it would be our dream to be bicoastal. Right. Meaning on either <laughs> side of, of the Pacific Ocean. So we'll see. You know, we own our house in San Francisco. 
Francisco, and we are applying for permanent residency here in New Zealand. We'll see what the future holds, but for now, we don't we don't have the opportunity to go back to the United right. States. Even sure, if we wanted to. sure. They're going to make and, it hard for you, you know, to leave I, when the time comes because yeah. you know forensic pathologists are are hard to come by, and you've got your developing book world, your book ecosystem that is going to continue to grow, right? Aftershock is out and I've read it. They're not going to want you guys to leave. New Zealand has made a name for itself as being the place where you come and shoot cool movies and do big epic things. They're going to say, come do yours here. Yeah, I uh, we've already promised that we're going to try to write a Jesse Tesca novel set in New Zealand sometime in the future. Yeah, so we're, we, we've got several people who are lobbying hard for that. So uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. So, so yeah. So so Jesse Tesca is back. You guys cranked out Aftershock fast. I, it came out faster than I thought it would. Was it like half in the bank when you started the la- when you came on the last time? We were very fortunate through the ministrations of our of our genius literary agent Jessica Papan to get a two book deal to write novels. Okay. So, yes, in a sense it was we didn't we didn't write them both at the same time, but as soon as we finished First Cut, we knew that we already had a um had a, a contract to write the second novel, so we just started it right away. And we also wrote it a different way. This one we wrote with a very extensive outline first, and then sat down to actually do the drafting, which turned out to be much faster than the sort of uh, seat of the pants approach that we took to first cut, where we explored the story, overwrote it, and then cut it back. Judy, did you find the collaborative process different in any way? From this round, because when you when you were last on the show and we last talked about this, we spent a lot of time in that space of how do you do this sort of creative collaboration while also maintaining full time jobs and raising families and doing all of these sorts of things? Was the collaborative process different for you? It was a little bit because first cut came out of me writing a a few hundred pages, several chapters and handing it to TJ versus Aftershock. We went for a walk and talked out what we thought the plot would be, then came back and wrote the outline and emailed it back and forth, if I recall correctly, before TJ really fleshed it out. But but some of the things were the same. Like, for instance, TJ would uh, we would discuss what the next phase of the book would be, what the next chapter or, or scene would be. TJ would usually write it out. I would go to work doing autopsies. I'd come home and then I would read it out to him while he was cooking dinner. So he got to hear it read out loud. And then if I caught any errors or needed to rewrite something, I would usually do it first thing in the morning before I went to work. Yeah, my experience was a little bit different than what you recall, doctor. Yeah. Because I don't remember us (laughs) marching through this book the way we did with First Cut, where we Uh did it you know, from the start to the end. I remember because we had an outline, right. we had some chunks that were really well flushed out and others where I just didn't know. I knew where I had been and where I needed to get. And then I would come to you and we'd go for a walk and we'd figure right. out how to how to make that connection. But usually at the end of the walk, I would email whatever the yes. discussion was to you. That's and right. then you'd use that as the basis for what you wrote the next day. Yes. And then and then Judy would read it and and we would discuss it. She'd fix up the science and the detective work to make sure that it is entirely real, which it, it is. The, the the science and the police activity and the and the, the courtroom proceedings in these books are very true to life. Uh, a lot of the other stuff we make up. Yeah, and the cop dialogue. That's the other yeah. thing I, I contribute. Uh, I really lawyer and like, cop dialogue. I really like the sense of realism that comes across in it. 
And, you know, I, when, whenever we have these conversations and I'm, I'm really fortunate to get to talk with you guys right when your book has been released, look, you gotta, people gotta read the book. I don't like to open the book too much for people because they just need to go read it for themselves. The pieces that stuck out for me though, there are two. One of them is that the world in which this really fun character that you've created, the world in which she exists now it feels like it's getting more fleshed out and it's super satisfying as a reader to be like, no, okay, cool. I know where I am now. I'm kind of back in this weird space, which is what I want out of a page turner. I want that sense of being transported. But the other thing I'll say, it's fucking dark, man. That book was tough. (laughs) So, so happy to hear you say that. (laughs) Oh my God. When we started this book, it was dark times and I wanted to write. Well, it's, well, it's a noir detective novel. It should be dark. And it's a good deal more so than First Cut. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it still has some positive. I mean, it has some humor. It, it does. Has some <laughs> it does. But Jesse's getting hard boiled, man. She is. Well, you know, she this is part of the verisimilitude, too, is she's a very literal minded person and she doesn't take. Uh, bullshit easily. And, yeah. Well, she's and, got a little bit of me and you both. And you both yeah. <laughs> it's like if you take certain personality traits of ours and turn them up to 11, a lot of that is <laughs> But a lot of it is she's her own character too. And yeah. we find her, yeah. I, I find that I'm typing things and she's coming out through my fingertips. I'm saying, whoa, where are you going? What are you doing with that? Yeah. And yeah, in this book, I'm, perhaps because the world was and remains a dark place, it um, it got pretty noir, yeah. Yeah, I think that working for government agencies for as long as I have, you start to see the banality of bureaucracy, right? Yeah. As opposed to banality of evil. But, it's, but it's the overlay of that banality when there's tragedy yeah. that, that is like, man, this is, whew, we are, we are, we're in a dark spot here because I think you just nailed it, right? Things happen in this book that are, that are sad and you know, violent and, and, very compelling. But when you overlay that with that, right, that the just the grind of the bureaucracy and the banality of people who've seen it a thousand times, just looking at it again and shrugging their shoulders. Oh, man, yeah. it, it it lands for sure. Good. I'm yeah, glad to hear you say that. I mean, you. it's a thriller, but it's a it's a procedural thriller. And that's exactly yeah. what we were shooting for. Yeah. My wife will tell you that I love a procedural. So I'm glad that you use that word so that when we get the movies or we get the Netflix series. Like that's exactly what I want. Cause then you can get the cool montage, right? The investigative <laughs> montage and you can do all those fun things. But the book I felt like was super consistent. You kept the pieces linked. Like it really, you could make the argument. Like you said, it was a two book deal. Like you, you could peel the covers off of them and stick them together and they just roll. It's, it works really nicely. I thought. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, we also, though, another thing that we tried and that was hard to achieve. And I think that we did is that, Aftershock can work as a standalone novel. You don't yeah. have to have read first cut first. Yeah. Uh, that's really tricky to yeah. do, but uh, but I, I think we did pull it off. Yeah, and we've had several bloggers and reviewers uh, specifically point out the fact that they hadn't read first cut, but they liked Aftershock and that it stood on its own just fine. You didn't need to read first cut to understand what's going on in Aftershock. Yeah, if you were to read Aftershock and then go back and read first cut, I feel like you'd get a lot more on first cut. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So what I would say then is you said bloggers and reviewers. Now you can add podcasters who would say the same thing because (laughs) you can definitely peel. You can definitely set them apart if you wanted to. And one of the things that I like in terms of books, if I'm going to do the page turner move, I like that world where you can pull one off the shelf and be like, you know, I can just immerse myself here or I can go backwards, but it doesn't matter. So here's my comps that I'll give you. And I have two of them. One of them is Gabriel Alon from Daniel Silva, where you can just pick up one of those books and roll. And then the other one is Jack Reacher. And you can take any of those books and 
enjoy them or you can put them lined up. And so my question is, do you think that doing this where hopefully we get, you know, three books in, five books in, eight books in, do you want to create a world where it is contiguous or do you want to create a world where each book stands alone or do that really subtle nuanced thing where you can get both? Yeah, we're aiming for both. I mean, I we do have uh, ideas for the next uh, three books in the series. Um, at least. Uh, yeah, at least. I mean, we, ideally. We no, no shortage of bodies. I, ideally, what we're thinking <laughs> about is um, is following her career um, yeah. as she matures as a forensic pathologist. Because one of the things I like about the character of Jesse, compared to a lot of the hard-boiled uh, detectives that are out there, even in the forensic realm, like uh, Kay Scarpetta or Kathy Reich's uh, heroine, they, they, they usually come in to the the series with a lot of experience. And as you know from First Cut, Jesse starts off basically straight out of fellowship. She doesn't really know much. <laughs> and it's and she's still learning. And I think that that's a common theme in our writing. Uh even going back to Working Stiff as we're both fascinated by the learning process and how it uh informs you as a detective and as you grow professionally. So that that's our plan is to see how she grows professionally over the next few years, transitions to other jobs, uh potentially does consult work, things like that. But I also think that because the profession involves investigating individual deaths, that does make it a little bit easier easier for us to have each book be a standalone case. And that's right. So yeah. that's what we're yeah. that's what we're shooting to. You know, our, our idea, too, is that when eventually she if she goes off, I don't think this is a spoiler for low series, but yeah. if she eventually goes off and works as a consultant, then you have her working for clients and then we can start exploring P.I. novels. Yeah, you know? yeah. She'd, be a, yeah. she'd be a private investor at that point. Yeah. And that's something people don't really know that I do. I mean, that's the other thing is in addition to my day job performing autopsies for coroners and medical examiners, I also do medical legal consult work where attorneys will come to me and say, we have this case. Um, you know, we're suing this manufacturer because of a defect in something and this person died. Can you help us understand the case better? And then I will do the detective work after the fact, you know, to try to figure out what exactly happened based on the materials that the attorneys are giving me. So that's another realm that Jesse can go into. At some guys, point, we're also hoping to bring her to back to Lynn, Massachusetts, where she comes from. Um, specifically, I come from Nahant, Massachusetts, which is a tiny little fishing town off the coast of Lynn. And we would love to do a, you know, weird little creepy town book. <laughs> so we'll see. That's mostly to please TJ's mother. We there's, try there's, to so many, there's so many different subgenres that <laughs> yeah, you can explore with a with a forensic pathologist because they're they're always they're always picking up on a death somewhere. Judy, have you had anyone reach out to you to say they are now considering a career in forensic pathology because of the books that you guys are writing? Yes, actually, it's not wow. unusual for us to go to. I, I go to professional conferences, yeah, we've been yeah. to the National Association Medical Examiners Meeting, American Academy of Forensic Sciences (AAFS). We've presented uh, books there. We've signed books for events that were there, and it's not. I mean, it's not unusual for people no, to come to us and it, say. Most of those people, uh, it's because of Working Stiff, our first book, which was narrative nonfiction. 
and it was Judy's memoir of training in forensic pathology. And that's that's a book that seems to inspire people to want to go into doing what she does. I, I think reading our novels, it may not seem like Jesse's life is the best possible life you could be reading. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, in, in, in Aftershock, there's not a lot there that felt aspirational. Let's put it that way. But I loved it. And it was She's a good so, pet owner. It's so dark. Oh, my God. Yeah, she took great care of her dog, for sure. That was nice because I'm a dog owner. Do you then have a sense of the rhythm that you have to create this world and to keep cranking out books? You said you've got three more mapped out with moving internationally, with maintaining a very busy professional schedule. With all of those things, have you found the rhythm that makes that feel sustainable? Not at the moment. To, to tell the truth. So, well, we were very lucky that in, in terms of the production of this book that it so happened that we got the copy edits while we were locked down in managed isolation for two weeks. When we arrived here in New Zealand, when you arrive, you arrive at the international airport in Auckland. They immediately put you on a bus and take you to one of the uh, one of the hotels that's set aside for managed isolation. And it, that's that's a whole process. We can talk to you about it later if you want. It's not prison and it's not a vacation. It's a way of making sure that you can get out of there in two weeks COVID free. And it so happened that we were locked in that hotel room for two weeks with the copy edits, which meant that I had nothing to distract me. And this mm-hmm. kept me busy for two weeks. It yeah. was just perfect timing. But since then, we've gone through the other stages of production of getting a book out most of which has to do with other professionals than us. And now the book is out there in the world and we're supposed to be working on the next book. And publicity yeah, and at the same time. Right, right. Yes, publicizing, publicizing Aftershock. We spent more time publicizing Aftershock than we have starting on the next book, I'll tell you yeah. that. But uh, now our, uh, also it has to do with the, the school year here and the way the rhythm of life is a little bit different. The school year starts right now. Our daughter's first day of, yeah. of high school was today. today. So now that she's back in school and the uh, college library, the university library just down the street is open, I can go work there. I like to work there. So I think we'll, we'll be more we'll productive. I will be more productive. The goal Dr. is Dr. Melanie to be- has been perfectly productive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, for me, I, I work in spurts and I have to work around my existing schedule. I mean, obviously, my primary uh, duty is my to my job to perform autopsies. So that's always going to be the primary goal. Yeah, that's the engine that drives all of this. But I'm glad that you found the way that works. I will just ask, though, I'm, I'm I'm also happy that that two weeks of quarantine was an effective way for you to get through your copy edits. But kind of for the sake of humanity, let's see if we can find a different one, because I don't want it to be where the next time you do this, we're all locking down again, just so we can yeah, okay. get a book. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have to ask, though, people will be annoyed at me if I don't ask, have either of you or both of you had the opportunity to meet or hear speak Prime Minister Ardern? I have actually. I went to uh, during the election process here. She spoke uh, uh, to labor, and I went and listened to her speak. But more exciting for me is um, the other night I went and met Ashley Bloomfield, Dr. <laughs> Ashley is, Bloomfield, Dr. Is Ashley, the Dr. Yeah. Fauci of New Zealand. Yeah, so that wow. that was that's a professional, uh, uh, you know, fangirl moment for me because I'm very much impressed with. Uh, the, that process, the the way the government uh, listened to the doctors and uh, shut down early and hard and continues to 
respond to the science. As the science shift, as we learn new things, they adjust their plan in order to keep everybody safe and and also planning on vaccine vaccinating everyone too. Which and is, that that's to the credit of the political yeah. leaders, uh, like Prime Minister Ardern, and to the scientific and public health leaders. Yeah. You guys shared pictures a few months ago of you at a rugby match with packed stands. Yeah. And I was right. like, I'm glad you were there. It's awesome. Rugby, super fun. I'm sure it was amazing. I'm like, man, there are maybe one or two places in the planet that are able to pull that off safely right now. I'm happy for you. And boy, do I wish I was there. And I think everyone had that yeah. same feeling like, man, we've got to get there. We've just got to get there. Right. Well, but keep in mind, though, that we may not be where you think we are. Yeah. We have not eliminated COVID here. In fact, sure. in just a couple of weeks after that rugby match, matches were shut down again because there was a case of community transmission that got out. And but this country, in fact, there was just one a couple of weeks ago, too. But this country is very, very good at doing the contact tracing, addressing the problem, as I said, in a nimble way when it comes out and uh, we did have a lockdown. That was that was a, that a was brief lockdown. lockdown yeah, no, it was weeks. Auckland. It was only it was only the city of Auckland that was that was locked down after that August outbreak. We haven't had another national lockdown. COVID is still here, but it's coming into the country and being quarantined and being controlled. Yeah, but I, the, the concern I have, and this is true throughout the world, is that um, it's not just enough to shut down your borders and try to control it there. If the rest of the world is uh, a petri dish of va uh, viral replication. I mean, the bottom line is, is that the more the virus spreads, the more it replicates, the more you've got opportunity for mutations to arise. And we've seen that with the different strains that are now becoming predominant. So we're going to have to, not just in New Zealand, but all over the world, figure out a better way to shut this down. Because the bottom line is, from what I can tell, my take is mitigation doesn't work. You have to focus on an elimination strategy because otherwise we're just going to have peaks and waves. Um, the vaccine rollout will come out, but then there are going to be vaccine resistant strains. So you've got to get to zero in other ways. And that includes masking, social distancing, border closures, lockdowns if necessary. I mean, I, I also all of these are part it, of the toolkit. I found it really fascinating that when the United States and everybody else started talking about vaccines and emergency use authorization to rush vaccines out, New Zealand didn't. There is no emergency use authorization here because there's no emergency here. It makes more sense for New Zealand to wait for other people to get vaccinated, get all of our vaccines lined up and give them to everybody all at once. And that's what I think the, the, the government here is planning to do that's the plan. starting in, in about April. And it's, yeah. it's it's a good plan. But it occurred to me that, yeah, sure, there's, there's no rush because we are managing it pretty well here, Knockwood, at the moment. Yeah. That the is, key is communication. Yeah. Yeah. That is and remarkable to hear. Happen, but I, This would I, not have happened if it weren't for Prime Minister Ardern and, and her team yeah. eliminating the virus in the first place in a really hard way in, in March. People outside of New Zealand forget that that lockdown was hard, hard and fast and hard, I think is what they yeah. is what they mm -hmm. the way they described it. And it worked. It's going to be interesting to see how much your experiences and what you have seen up front in New Zealand and also in the United States before you left. And then when you come home, how much that's going to both consciously and unconsciously infuse itself into the fictional world you're creating with your books. Have you thought about that part yet? We have a little bit. I mean, we're, 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 do, we're debating whether or not 
Jesse's going to have to deal with COVID. I I am of the argument <laughs> that it needs to be there, that we need to acknowledge that it's there. It may not, it won't necessarily be the primary event, just like the earthquake um, that occurs in aftershock is not the only thing in the plot. The, the, the key, the thing that I like personally from a storytelling perspective, because it um, animates aftershock, and I think that it will animate the other books going forward, is that when you're a forensic pathologist, you still have to investigate your day-to-day murders and um, accidents and suicides. So even when there's a mass fatality incident, whether it was 9-11 for me, you know, my experience in working stiff or an earthquake, like what happens to Jesse and Aftershock, you still have your cases that you have to work on in addition to that. So I like that balance of being able to show what life is like for a forensic pathologist having to do their regular work in addition to this disaster that they're also having to manage. No, that I, I identify with that. I mean, as a hospitalist, we're still admitting heart attacks and strokes and people who've suffered all of the same issues that came up before the pandemic. Those things don't stop. And so I think accessing yeah, that is yeah. really smart. But I will say, right, for as a fan and as someone who when book three comes out, you hopefully will come back on the show. I think if you it would stick out if you didn't mention it. If I didn't see that in yeah. Jesse Tesco round three, I would ask you why. Well, we'll see. And I'll tell you why. I can tell you why right now okay. is we're part of a we're, we're, we don't work alone. We're part of a professional team. And if our editor, John Glenn at Hanover Square Press, tells us we're not going to address covid, people don't want to read about COVID. Interesting. They want to be distracted from covid yeah. with yeah. with your detective novels. Then that's what I'll do. And sure. Sure. So we're going to let the, the professionals in the publishing field tell us uh, what they think people want. And we'll yeah. see. I, we'll, we'll see. We'll, I, we'll I, be having a discussion about it for sure. We'll we'll see what the future holds. I love it because yeah, maybe I, it'll be like nobody wants to talk about it anymore and we just all need a break from it. I don't know. People do love to read detective novels. They do love the escapism of it. Right. And don't forget, too, the other complication we have is that we're writing these these books a year before they come out. Right. Yeah, just because it's an influence right now, it doesn't mean that it's going to, people are going to want to read about it in a year from now. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. It'll be really interesting to see how the public appetite sort of evolves. But speaking of the public appetite, the book is great. The book is out. We'll have links in the show notes, but where do people go to find it, buy it, download it, listen to it, read it, whatever? The uh, quickest and easiest way to find it is our uh, our author website, which is drworkingstiff.com, drworkingstiff, all one word, dot com. And we've got a bunch of buy buttons there. Lots of links there for all sorts of independent bookstores, as well as the big the big ones and the online uh, yep. retailers. You like can Amazon. you can get signed copies. Yeah, of no, this Aftershock is the other thing. Yeah, through Green Apple Books in San Francisco, our hometown bookstore. We have uh, signed a bunch of stickers and mailed them to Green Apple Books, and yeah, so they, they are pasting those into the book plate. So if you if you want an autographed copy, you can still get one. Green Apple Books, they ship everywhere in the continental United States and for Canada. very cheap. Exactly. Yeah, but then you do have to write it. If you order it from their website, you need to put it in the comments that you want a signed one. And they could put the stickers in Working Stiff and First Cut, too. I mean, they just have the stickers. They can put it in whichever book you want. So if you want a signed copy, just put it in the comments. Shout out to Green oh, Apple book Books. That place is awesome. Aftershock is, Aftershock is available in hardcover, in ebook, audiobook. It's uh, however however you want to get it into your brain, you can do it. <laughs> Who is the narrator for the audiobook? Her name is Amanda Dolan. Yeah. It's Dolan or Nolan? Dolan. 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 Amanda Dolan. 
And uh, she is the same voice actor who did First Cut, and she's brilliant at it. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people asked us, why don't you narrate your own books? But then we realized when we went through the book that there are a lot of different characters and accents, and neither one of us is sufficiently skilled at acting to do that. familiar with our, our fictional work, it's set in San Francisco, and there are people from all over the world in San Francisco. So you have a lot of different accents. And on top of that, you also have the medical lingo and yeah. the way the cops talk and the way that the DAs talk uh, their their legal lingo. It's a very challenging book to narrate. And and uh, she does a brilliant job. That's fantastic. And then how do people find you if they want to follow you on social media? Oh, we're everywhere. Let's see. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Judy Malinek. I'm on uh, the, my, my most prolific is the my Twitter feed, which is also Dr. Judy Malinek. Uh, TJ's on Twitter as well. Uh, as uh, TJ Mitchell WS as in Working Stiff. Yeah. And we probably use Twitter the most right now, but we're also on Facebook as Dr. Working Stiff. Right. This was great. I'm so glad you guys came back. I'm I'm sad. I'm hungry. I would have loved some spaghetti, but you know, <laughs> we so got, sorry. we got, we got three more books to go someday. We'll be able to make that all happen. Congratulations to both of you. This was totally cool. I'm so, I'm so glad the book is out. Thank you for sending me a copy. I loved it and appreciate all the transparency around what you're seeing and experiencing having moved to New Zealand in the midst of the pandemic. It's absolutely fascinating. I'm delighted you both are doing well. Thank you so much. Well, it's, e- it's easy for us to be transparent that way because we feel very, very grateful to be here. We really do. Yeah. And I personally feel like I'm, I'm on a mission to educate Americans about what needs to be done, because I think that zero COVID is feasible and it's worth investing in. It's a financial investment for the long term health of the country, as well as the health of the economy. That's really tremendous. And I think it's something that we all will continue to learn more about and aspire to. Judy and TJ, thank you both so much. This was great. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. Good to talk to you again. My thanks once again to Dr. Melanick and to TJ for joining me on another episode of Explore the Space. And they will definitely be back when Dr. Jesse Teska comes back for book three. In the meantime, definitely click the link in the show notes. Get yourself a copy of Aftershock. It is a fun and interesting and challenging read. They are creating a fantastic fictional world. And I think you will really enjoy checking it out. Thank My thanks once again to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thanks again for listening to Explore the Space. Always grateful to you for taking the time. Please do subscribe to the show. We will have more great content coming soon. Leave us that rating and a review. Really, really does help us out. Hit me up via email. Hit me up on Twitter at ETS Show. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, maintain physical distancing, wear your masks, wash your hands. We will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.